Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited about today's guest, who is Isaac Johnson. Isaac's the president and CEO of TDECU, a credit union here in the Houston area. Isaac's has a great and interesting story because he has built a career on a parallel path, both in the military serving in the U.S. Army Reserves, as well as a corporate career coming up through law firms and then banking. In this episode, you'll hear Isaac talk about how when you fail, it's important to fail fast and move on, as well as his approach to culture, which comes from his military training and the mentality of one team. Isaac, I want to thank you for agreeing to take some time out of your day and come visit with me on the podcast. All right. Well, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here, Chris. And good to see you. It's been a while. So. It has been a while. It's good to see you as well. Good to catch up. Yeah. So let, let's just kind of start. You're the president and CEO of TDECU. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about you know what that company is, what it does? Okay. Well, well thank you. So TDECU, your credit union, is the largest credit union in uh, Greater Houston, the fourth largest in, in Texas. And we provide full financial from any banking products all the way to investments, insurance, to commercial lending. So we're, we're full service. Now, something's interesting, as you know, about a credit union is we're not for profit. So so many of those those services and products that we provide, we can provide them at a low cost. And we passed all those costs, those savings back to them. And one last thing I'll share about TDECU is... As long as you're walking and breathing in Texas, you can become a member. So, okay, that's good to know. And it is, and, and for everyone's edification, it's Texas Dow Employers Credit Union, right? Yes, okay. yes. The TDECU for sure. Uh, TDECU short. for sure. Yes. Very good. Well, so you've been in this role now, what for less than a year as the presidency? You know, a lot of times I'm talking to someone that's an entrepreneur that maybe founded a company. Certainly not your journey in this role, yeah. but. Tell us a little bit about your journey professionally and, and how you it came to be that in June of 2021, you became the president and CEO of this credit union. Well, well thank you, Chris. You know, my story, I, I think, is is not unique to any uh, business leader that's, that's out there. But, you know, I, I'll share a couple of twists and turns, too, with my career. And that is, so, you know, I, I start off banking and finance. You may t- tell from my Southern Drawdown, Mississippi guy. So I... Graduated from uh, Mississippi State and banking and finance and uh, went into a bank management trainee program after school. And that's that was with the largest bank at the time in Mississippi, it was Trustmark National Bank. And so started there as a banker and went through their management trainee program. And, and so along there became a branch manager, commercial lender, and then went into business development. And at some point when I was closing deal, I'll hand them over to the attorneys and then they'll close the door and then I'll go back and start going out <laughs> trying to get new business. So, you know, I was intrigued to find out what was going on behind the door. So I decided right. to go to law school. So I went to law school, came here to, to Houston, to Texas Southern, the Thurgood Marshall School of Law and 
And so curiosity and, led you to law school. Yeah, curiosity led me to law school. And, and so, yeah, so had a wonderful time there and clerked all the way through law school. And, and I thought, you know, I was going to be a, a litigator. And so, but when I was in law school, I clerked at J.P. Morgan Chase in their, in their, uh, banking, in their banking group. And of course, when I graduated, upon getting ready to graduate from law school, of course, I clerked at Thompson and Knight, where, where we first met and, and went through that summer associate program. And Chris, I'm not sure you know this story, but so when I clerked at Thompson and Knight, I split my time between the securities group and banking. And at this time, I'm thinking, maybe I want to be a securities lawyer. So when I finished law school and reported to the law firm, I got my file and said, hey, the banking group is down there to the right. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't have a choice. <laughs> I had no choice. Yeah, you know, I, so, and it was one because I, you know, I had been a banker and I knew banking and uh, knew how to develop relationships and had a wonderful tenure there. And so practiced law for, for several years, as you know, and then ultimately after my private law experience went into in-house at, at Wells Fargo, where I um, led the, helped lead the, the business banking group and, and, and some of the, the commercial lending there. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, so while I'm doing all that, I have, so I'm at Wells Fargo now. And I also had another career that was parallel to that. I was going to say, because you're, you're leaving part out. I was <laughs> yes, going to react to it. So yeah. So the parallel that. to that is when I graduated from Mississippi State, I, I commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Army Reserve. And uh, so I was a finance officer. And so it kind of made sense. You know, banking degree, finance officer. And so I've had a dual career in the Army Reserve. And in and in in you know practicing law and then now here at, at TDECU and, and so my career just continued and and so it was promoted second lieutenant first lieutenant when I became captain in the reserves I branch transferred to the uh, civil affairs and civil affairs at the time is is, is in the armor reserves but it was part of the special operations command too at the time and so and what civil affairs officers do is when we go into other countries. We're pretty much the liaisons between the military and the, the host nation. Okay. So we can help with foreign foreign disasters. Human, we can help with foreign humanitarian assistance. Um, and clearly in combat times, we help um, de-conflict between the military and the civilian uh, population to make sure that we're supporting that government and, and definitely supporting the, the goals of that commander on the ground. So, so yeah, went to, became a civil affairs officer. And so at the time now, to backtrack a little bit, so I'm at Thompson and Knight, and now the time is around 2014, 2005. And as you know, we're heavy in Afghanistan. 2004, 2004. 2004, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2004, 2005. And, 2000, and yeah. let me just stop real quick yeah. on, on, on behalf of myself and all the listeners. Thank you for your service. Oh, well, well thank you. It, we're it's, indebted. Well, well thank you. It's, it's a privilege and honor to serve. And, and, and so, you know, 2005, 2004, there's heavy rotations in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I'm getting mobilized at this point. And so I'm leaving, you know, I have to depart the law firm and I'm having deployments in Afghanistan, later Kuwait, later Africa, and spent time in Haiti after 2010, after the earthquake there. I was there on the ground to help with the Haitian government. So I've had several deployments. Right. And um, and then and, and ultimately my last deployment was with was in Korea. So so I've had, you know, I've had that military on um, that dual career and in Christian film, I'm kind of jump back and forth. Here. Absolutely. So, no, no. so now I'm back on the civilian side. So I met Wells Fargo and then I go join TDECU as their first general counsel and chief risk officer. 
And, and, you know, so I'm helping the leadership, the leadership team at the time with risk and, of course, with general counsel matters. And while I'm there, things are great. And I get called to active duty again. And this time it's to Korea. And, and I initially my orders were for three months. So while I'm in Korea, I was working for General Vincent Brooks at the time. I got promoted to Brigadier General. So I'm I was going to stop let everybody know because you, you go over that. You're, you're a brigadier general in the Army Reserve. Yes, yes, uh, which is amazing. So, yes, no, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, really, an honor to have someone like that, you know, as um, a guest on this show. Well, I, I, I tell you, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I had my bumps and bruises along the way, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's become, you know, a love for the profession of arms. And at this point, I love service, and so I'm in Korea, and I'm there, and I get promoted, and I. I, I like to share. I waltz into General Brooks' office. I said, "Hey, sir, I've come out on a general officer list, and I have a command back in Pensacola, in the states. So I'll be leaving early to go take that command." And he said, "Isaac, why don't you sit down for a second? I said, <laughs> and I saw so my spider senses went up. I knew something was up. <laughs> so I sit down, and he he explains that he said, "Hey, I need you here. I need I need someone to lead the civil military operations here in on in Korea. Tensions were high at the time. It's 2018 and uh, 17, 18. And so I, I stayed and, and it became a two-year assignment. And, and as many of your listeners may know, in Korea, we also have families, military families that are there. So I transferred my, my family. We sold a house in Houston and they moved to, to, to Seoul. Wow. Yeah, and so that was a, it. Was a wonderful experience. Well, I, you know, I, it sounds amazing, and, and I, yeah, I'm glad you went into details. I wanted the listeners to hear your everyone's stories. Unique yours, you know, to me is is especially unique because it, it comes with the service to our country. And I think it's maybe not how most people would think. You end up being the president and CEO of a of a company, a bank, credit union, whatever it may be. But and I know we'll get into some of this as we talk, but. That dual parallel track, I think, is would have to have shaped you in ways that just you know in the way you think about problems, problem solving, team building. So, kind of want to you know hear from you on some of those things. And, and let's just start. You know, when you're when you're thinking about what it takes to have a successful business, what are some of the key fundamentals that that you really try to put into place to ensure success? Well, well, well thank you for that. And. And these would transcend, you know, from the military to my civilian capacity here at, at TDECU. And so, I, you know, I, I think along the terms of long-term plans, short-term plans, and execution. So when we think about those long-term plans, looking over the horizon to make sure that your business is here 20 years from now, you know, how do you remain competitive? What's going on in the market? How do you, you innovate? How do you remain relevant to your members for, you know, 20 years from now. So, you know, I had that long ball and, 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 and just back up a little bit, even before I start looking at that long term, I'm looking for that, that purpose, that purpose of that North Star. And then don't you, when you, when you settle on that and, and here, you know, I have a board of directors. And so I like to tell folks, I went from one boss to 10 bosses. <laughs> so I have 10. And so, you know, and we, you know, when I came into the seat, we did an assessment and we, 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 the board and I, we worked together and we came up with, with that, that purpose, that North Star. And, and it, it for us, it is helping people improve, helping people on their financial journey, helping people on their financial journeys. So wherever you are on your financial journey, TDC, you can support it from, from, 
opening up account if you're in high school from a checking account all the way to your first house, all the way to retirement, to your retirement years. So, um, so that's that North Star long term plan. And then there's this always this 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 shorter term planning, you know, between one and three years. What are we doing? You know, what, what are, what's our plan for the next one to three years? And so once we set that and then we back into executing. And Chris, I'll tell you, I'll take some turns for my uh, military. I violently execute. <laughs> so we got a plan. You know, we're going to execute. You know, we look at we track. We have milestones and, 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 and we do those things. And it's not. You know, just developing long-term plans, yes, short-term plans, and executing. It's about you do those things to get a, be, become a better organization, to provide value to your members, to our to provide the best customer service that we can, uh, to make sure we're relevant in the products that we bring. So we don't do all that just to just to keep work, but it's always trying to better the the, the enterprise. Right. Well, that's great. No, and I I have to believe you being an army guy that in your violent execution you're also doing after action reviews yeah. right to yeah. to assess and learn so so that if you need to align or adjust before you continue the execution you know yeah. what went right what went wrong and why oh you're talking my terms that's right we call it <laughs> aar that's right after action reviews aar now some folks say this more morbid say postmortems or whatever right. you know but I, I like to go aars or after action reviews and and we have, we, you know, we, we have, we, we, for all the successes that we've had, you know, we've had some setbacks and, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to air all our dirty laundry for our competitors <laughs> out there, but you know, we, you know, so the, I'll tell you one of the biggest trends, if you wouldn't mind me just talking about it. No, you know, no. It's, I mean, one of the questions I was yeah. going to ask you is about setbacks. Okay. And so, okay. you know, you, you kind of dovetail okay. right into it. So yeah, p- please yeah. share to the extent you can or, yeah, or yeah, you know, yeah. uh, well, I would tell you that in the financial industry now, um, you know, mod- many of the products are almost commoditized at this point. I mean, everybody has a checking account, savings account. We Everybody, you know, can make loans to a certain degree. But the entry into our market is now as is lowered because of fintechs, these, 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 these Internet uh, banking companies that are coming in. And frankly, that they're, they're not under the same regulatory scrutiny that a traditional credit union or bank is under. Now, clearly, I can't speak for them, but I can say for us, our deposits are are um, are, are are insured by the Federal Reserve. And so for us, it's the NCUA, the National Credit Union Administrator, insures our funds just like the FDIC does for a bank. So, you know, but the fintechs can provide other services that are very competitive. And, and so we've been, so we've been challenging, it's been challenging as an organization to make sure that we stay abreast of the the latest innovation out there, delivering products and services to our members. And, you know, we've implemented, we've gone out and we've might've hooked up with a startup and said, Hey, you can do this. Oh, and they're like, yes, we can do this. And then they start implementing like, wait a minute, you know, I'm not sure you can scale this. And so, um, so, you know, we, we I think we're, we're in a really good place where we are, but we have in that space, you have a lot of startups, you have a lot of entrepreneur spirit. And so we try to where, you know, where we win, we win and where we, we, we fall short, we fail fast and we move on. And so and I, I think many other financial institutions are embarking upon those two uh, as far as delivering in that digital space, delivering services and, and products. I can see where it's been a, a disruptor. Right yeah. in your industry, yeah. that making you have to rethink the way things just used to be done or have always been done. That's exactly right. I, I mean, so the traditional model was, 
you know, you have a branch or, or you have several branches. We call them member centers. Mm-hmm. FRI members have these member centers. People come in, you know, and they stand in line and they cast their check or make a withdrawal or they may peek over and see a service representative sitting at the desk and walk over and inquire, inquire about a CD. But, you know, for, for you know, and, I, and Chris, I don't want to make this generational because at first, you know, we said, well, we have this, this, the, you know, the, the, the Gen X or the whatever the, the latest the uh, generation uh, Gen. I, I get. I, I think we're Z now. We're Z now, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, so you know, they want to do everything online. Why well, can tell you right now? My mom, I'm not gonna tell her age, but you know, <laughs> you know, she likes to do everything online, especially in this COVID environment. So you know, she hopped on her iPad and she's doing banking online. So it's not this generational thing anymore. So we have to meet members the way they want to be served. Right. And if they want to come into a branch, we'll serve them there. If they want to be online, we'll serve them there. So it's customer yeah. service, right? That's exactly At the end right. Of the day. Exactly right. So, exactly. so speaking, you mentioned innovation. What What are some of the things you're currently doing, or at least trying to implement, that you believe are innovative for your business? Well, that, that's a great question. So, if if you go to our um, website to today, tdecu.org, tdecu.org, I mean, you go there and you can, you can pretty much do all of your banking right there. You can. Start a loan. You can go all the way through the approval process. You can start mortgage applications from beginning to end. And so we really have tried to be innovative in having that high tech, high touch. So it's not sterile. You, you, if we send your email, it's going to be tailored to you. It's, it's not going to be a box, a box is BOT, right? That you just, you know, automating, sending things to you. So we try to have a high tech, high touch model, and I, and I think that's somewhat innovative because. You can just take something off the shelf and plug it in and it's just all automated and you never deal with a member. But we've made it purposeful to say we're still going to bring in that, that that human touch in that process just to check in on you, you know, as you're going through the process. So that's I think that's when it comes to innovation, that's one of the things we're investing in a lot uh, to make sure that and I go back to this COVID environment to, to make sure even in this COVID environment that we're, we make we can take care of members without them having to come in. To the to a member center. That's great. So let let's let's talk a little bit about that virus. You know what what have you had to adjust at the business level and the way the way things were done as a result of you know COVID and the the various outbreaks we we've, we've been experiencing and you know we'll probably continue to experience as we move forward. Okay. Well, Chris, you know I'll take that in two ways. I'm going to talk about our teammates. And then I'll talk about our members. And and so let me start with our teammates first. I mean, we wanted to be respectful to the local ordinance and, you know, rules that were coming out and guidance. And so like many other businesses early on, you know, everyone went home. You know, I, you know, I tell if I, I like to I'm going to make light of this. But if I went to my team two years ago and I said, hey, everybody's going to start working from home, you know, in next year. It would probably took us three years to get a plan together. Right. Everybody go home. <laughs> but in this case, you know, it's like everybody going home next week. Everybody went home and we still kept the business going. And it's the weirdest thing. So um, I guess that's agile. That's the agile part. of it. Yes. Right. <laughs> Being it's agile. amazing what 
what humans can do when they have no choice. Exactly. Right? Right. That's exactly right. So, no, that, so that's one time that the plan, you know, the long-term plan, you know, we were agile to, to develop some well, quick Maybe, too, there was no plan. We were figuring it out as we went. That's right? exactly right. We were building the plan as we were flying it. And, yeah. And, and, I mean, and, and to a certain I mean, we've matured as an organization, and, and I think we, we, we know how to manage it better. But back to our teammates, you know, of course, they went home, and then at some we started looking at ways to, to, to continue to, to provide service to our members. And, and Chris, I want to give a shout out to our, my TDECU teammates because our branch network never shut down during COVID. We did not. We kept those uh, those branches going. So yeah. those those employees were on the front line. They were masked up. They're washing their hands, you know, and, and they took some, you know, they took some personal risks there. And we supported them all the way, we, you know, every way we could. So I, I just want to share that. But, oh, absolutely. That's but, amazing. Yeah. So but, but for to, for our, our general, for our other employees, like our back office employees or, you know, so most of them went home and then and, and they started finding out ways how to continue the, the team build on, you name it, from Zoom to uh, WebEx to I don't know. Yeah. Some people probably go my business by now. Yeah. It started, or I forget. I've been on these teams. different teams. Oh yeah, yes. teams. Yeah. So and then trying to go between all those on your on your uh, computer. So so we learned how to to continue to team build on you know online, and and then as of November this first, we started we implemented a new way of working, and so like many organizations now we have hybrid. We have hybrid workers that you know they come in the office a couple of days a week and they work from home. We have employees that are, you know, that are on site, like our, our tellers or our member service and our brand, you know, they're on site. So they're permanently on site. And even we have a rotation there, too. And so so these different models, the COVID environment and the virus has taught us to to manage our talent and our teammates, give them more options. Yeah. And I'm really happy where we are with that. How? Yeah. So there's been a lot. I mean, I think mm-hmm. everyone out there with a company has seen this. I mean, because. Part of what you're talking about is how COVID has affected positively or negatively your culture, yeah. right, amongst yeah. those teammates and team members. And so, you know, how would you describe the culture at TDECU if it's changed at all over COVID? If so, how? But, you know, tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing to help sustain it. Well, I, I tell you, so our, our culture, you know, when I when I came in into the seat, and even before then, I, I referred to at least the legal team at the time as one team. It was one team. Now I bring that over from the military, so it's one team, one fight. But I, I drop off the fight. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, one yeah. team. <laughs> so we have the one team, and then when I came in the seat, we we you know our, our culture is around team, and and, and 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 even our strategic partners are around team. So we have a strategic we have a strategic partnership with the Texans. Every time the Texans go into the red zone, we donate to the Boys and Girls Club. You know, it's a team. And we have, of course, we have our relationship with the University of Houston. We have the naming rights to the stadium, TDECU Stadium team. And so we have all these team, you know, these team, these our our partners are team, you know, come, you know, have this teamwork. And then employees, we we start this one team. So the model at TDECU, one team internal. And those values around this, and we have our TDECU values, and and they are as four. It's embrace change. You know, and, and our employees and teammates been showing up around that. Embrace change, leave with empathy. So every decision that we make, either for our teammates or for our members, we, we lead with empathy to try to think about what they're going through. Last one is take accountability. Uh, well, the third is take accountability. And the last one, 
which is everybody loves is have fun. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so we have fun, and you know we know how to party. So so we have so we do all those things: embrace change, leave empathy, take accountability, and, and have fun. And that's the culture that's um, that's driving us forward. So uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Now you were talking a little bit about yeah. COVID and changes to your team, and yeah. I know you said you were going to break it down, and talk about members. Tell us yes. a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and, and so to the to the member point. You know, our members, we, we, you know, something that taught us about the COVID and it taught us is, is said, hey, we need to meet the members where they are. However, they want to be served. It's not how we want to provide the service, how they want to be served. And clearly, you know, we went to this when we went to this hybrid environment, some of our teammates, then we started, we made sure that we started investing more into our online banking and digital banking. You know, that competition space with those fintechs. So we said, okay, so we need to invest in this. We also saw opportunities around our branch network. You know, where were our members actually coming into our branches? And so we had to re almost reset some of our branches, our branch network, to make sure that we were showing up for those members. And, And that includes today building a couple of new, probably repurposing some locations. And so our members today, I, I think we provide them more channels of delivery for them. And, and and I think without COVID really pushing that issue, you know, we'll still be on that five-year plan to get it done. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Well, so, I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of, a lot of interesting things you, you shared with us about the company. Let's talk a little bit more personal about leadership style and, you know, specifically your style, kind of how would you describe yeah. it? You know, how do you try to show up as a leader? Maybe what, what influences have you had, you know, in your career to draw from to kind of form your own style? Well, well that hey, is a great question. And, and, you know, every now and then I've, I've been asked the question, I still ponder, you know, what is my leadership style? I think I'm, I'm still a work in progress. And, and, but, I, you know, I will take back from, you know, I had some great mentors and, and even sponsors. And I, I think there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And, and one great mentor and sponsor, I shared his name earlier, was, was General Vincent Brooks. And so General Brooks, West Point grad, a distinguished military career, and it uh, culminated as um, commander of Combined Forces Korea and, uh, and the United Nations Command Korea. So he had three commands under his, under his purview when he was in Korea. And he led as a servant leader. I mean, he had, he had staff around him. I'm not saying I was one of the smart guys, but he had some smart folks around him. <laughs> he didn't leave with like, hi, I know all the answers. He deferred to the expertise around the table. He asked tough questions and he held leaders accountable for the advice that they were. But he he led with this service mentality, servant leader mentality. You know, he had four stars. Well, actually, eight stars when you count them all together. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, when he would be wearing something, a uh, jacket or something, it's like, it's a lot of stars on the inside. But to make a long story short, to today, when I, 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 I lead with, I'm not the loudest voice in the room. I don't lead with, I'm the smartest person in the room. I have experiences that I have. I, you know, I have some expertise that I can bring to the table. But I do believe in a teamwork where we have proven seasoned leaders that are, that are part of that team. And I rely on their expertise. And as we make decisions, we, you know, we make them and, and we collaborate and, and, and we make collaborative decisions. It, but that's not to be confused with if there's an urgent matter, 
clearly I'll step into that role to say, hey, uh, you know, it can be more directive. Sure. Um, more de- decisive uh, when you need to be. Exactly. Right. Decisive when I need to be. And, 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 uh, and, and sometimes I think that the team actually appreciates that. Okay. They say, okay, we've been spinning. Where are we going to go? And, and, and so, but yeah, collaborative leadership. I like to get an input from around the table and, and, um, and then we, we make the best decisions that we can and, and hold ourselves accountable for them. Any, any books on leadership or anything you've read in your career or that you would say that, you know, really got some good learning from this you might pass on? Uh, yeah. You, well, you know, there there, there are a ton of leadership books from, from military uh, to civilian. But I'll tell you what, I, the book I've been spending a lot of time with lately, and that is, I told you I have 10 bosses. Did I tell you? You told me. Okay, yeah, I have yeah. 10 yeah. bosses, yeah. In fact, fact, I have two advisory bosses, too. So I have uh, 10 board members, two advisory board members, and phenomenal, phenomenal. And, 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 and every one of those individuals are leaders in their own, I mean, are leaders. They're experts in their fields. We're all leaders. And so, you know, what I've been reading is when you, when you, when you're, I guess, in my position as a new CEO and I'm trying to build a team and have that relationship with the board, it's like, how can we be more effective? How do we bring all these, these high performing people together? And so I've been reading this book, Building Better Boards. Okay. Um, by uh, David Nadler, and 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 it's around effective board government, and I think it's very critical where I am now, and I'll share with any new leader of an organization to make sure that you're aligned with with your board. In the military, I'll say I'll make sure that I'm aligned with the higher command, right. so there comes some similarities there, and and so we're on that journey together. So I want to make sure that we have a high performing board, but you know, I think everybody can always always look know, to improve, improve, right? Always look to improve. Exactly right. Oh, that's great. So you know. When you think about, you know, you, you've shared a remarkable journey with us. If there were two or three things that you, based on what you've learned over your experience, that you would, if you were sitting down across the table from a young entrepreneur or you know someone looking to start a business, what are, you know, two or three things you might impart to them to say, you know, here, here's some important things to keep in mind and, and stay focused on as you start this journey. Okay. Um, you know. Chris, I, I'm, I'm taking a couple of notes here. One, I would say there's there's no substitute for education. You know, I, I mean, in, in in the education experience, I look at my two two separate, at least for my world, two separate things. And you know, so there is a a baseline of education that I think any entrepreneur or business, you know, starting the business that you that you should. I'm not saying it has to be formal education. I'm not saying it's a degree or something like that, but there is a baseline of education that I think this, and I think those folks who are, are well-learned and, and at least know the principles of whatever business they're embarking upon, you know, I think they can pull upon that when, when they're in, when it's decision-making or, or when they're encountering something that may be new. So I, I encourage all, I, I mean, I have four boys and and we believe in education, and so, and I think they all believe in education. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, yeah, yeah. They all, yeah, we believe in education. And and and, even, and I told my son, even if my second old son, he's a banking and finance major, and and I said, even if you want to be an entrepreneur, please get this base of education. I want you to understand that you understand what business is and the principles of business. Right. Um, the next one is experience. You know, if you if in if you have experience, that's great. You can um, lean on some of that experience, but be open to new experiences and be agile enough to continue to learn. I call it having a learner's mindset. So you have that education, now you have experience. And, the, and as experience, you're learning new things. 
And, and as you learn new things, you know, I, I, I think as you learn new things, I think at some point you start making gut decisions because at some point there's going to be a decision you have to make and you're going to have to weigh the risk. Do I do this or not do this? And, and you know, and that experience, I think, yeah. helps with that. Yeah, I think that you're to your point, right? You're not always going to have all the information you want, right? You got to draw on experience, a little bit of yep. education. And again, education could be school of hard knocks. That's right. Right. That's but at yeah. some point, then you got to get to a decision point. Exactly right. Uh, that, I, I tell all entrepreneurs that in, in some of my younger leaders and in leaders on my leadership team, there are decision points. And that's what you get paid the small bucks for. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, you know, great, great advice. Let, let's just kind of get off the business train and, and talk a little bit, of, you know, wrap this up talking about some fun stuff. Tell okay. us. What was your first job? Oh, my first job. Um, my first job. Okay. I want, I want to say my first professional job, but I'm going to go back to my first job. That's where I want you to <laughs> yes, go. Right. My first job was, was working. It was a summer program. I was in the ninth grade at Central Junior High in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I worked on the, the CB base. The, the CB base is a Navy base in, in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I was there helping them, I don't know, doing computer work, where I was saving work on the floppies, you know, those yeah. floppies that we used to have. And so I'm in there saving and doing a little programming. I, I'm not even sure if it's programming. No disrespect to any programs out there. I was typing stuff in and saving stuff and backing up files. And, 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 uh, probably more than half of the listeners have no idea what a floppy disk is. Oh, okay, is. got it. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so uh, and, but but I, I would tell you, so, but right during that same summer, during that same summer, I worked at, okay. so worked at Burger King making biscuits. So, I, I mean, hey, I've, I've been there. I've been there, done that. I love it. That's that's, to me, that's the best way to start is you start at the bottom and, yeah. and it, it, it's motivation to yeah. move up. All right. Well, so, the, you know, Isaac, you're from Mississippi, but this is a Texas podcast. Oh, so, yeah, that is true. So I need to know, man, what's your favorite, Tex-Mex or barbecue all the way and uh, barbecue all the way. Now, I'll tell you, Chris, so I married a Texas girl. So she's uh, Demetria, uh, uh, was from Houston. She went away to college to A&M. <laughs> it came right back. <laughs> so, and uh, of course, you gave me that bumper sticker that, uh, hey, I, I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. So, you know, all that good stuff. Gotcha. Uh, so, well, then it makes yeah. sense that yeah, you're a barbecue guy. That's right. So if you could take a one-month sabbatical, where would you go? What would you do? Oh. Hmm. One-month sabbatical. Where would I go? I would... Of all my travels, I've been I've been on the east. I've, I've been to Djibouti, Africa. I've been to at least eight countries on the east, eastern, the western. I'm sorry, on the eastern part of Africa. I also have done work in Niger, Senegal, on the west side. If I had one month, I would actually um, take the family and we would spend a month in Tanzania. And Dar es Salaam. Well, I mean, Tanzania, and then we'll go down to Dar es Salaam, uh, Tanzania. So we'll spend time between Kenya and Tanzania. So, yeah, that's what we'll do. Very good. Yeah. And last, you know, what do you do when you're not working? What do you do for fun? Interest, hobbies? Oh, well, you know, when I'm, let's see, Chris, are you saying when I'm not at TDECU <laughs> and not doing the military? Oh, I'm with family. So I'm, I'm with my boys. We we got we have football. Well, I have one uh, uh, artist in there too. So so my oldest is an accountant, and, and he was in. He did his time in the military. Then he he with the 101st Airborne, and then then he went to to school after went to college. And he's an accountant, works for VA hospital, and he's still giving back. I, I'm just I'm really I'm really impressed with David. Um, 
So he still serves. And uh, my second nose is, is Bryce. So Bryce has said he was a banking and finance major. And so I'm not going to say the school he's at right now because he's in the transfer portal and he's Uh-oh. about to go to another school. <laughs> so more to come. Okay. So, okay. So more to come. Leave it at that. Yeah, leave it at that. So Bryce is in. He's a wide receiver. And, it's, and so he's a football player and, and he's, he's pretty good. So and then I have Zachary, who's in uh, the 11th grade. He's my artist. And then I have Joshua, who's in ninth grade, and he's a big boy. He's a football player. And so, I mean, he loves football. He loves hunting and uh, fast cars. So. There you go. That's uh, <laughs> they didn't, they had plenty to do this past weekend, watching a lot of football. <laughs> exactly right. We That's did. great. Well, Isaac, I, it is so great to hear from you and see you, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking oh. time to share your story with us. And thanks again. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.